Hi, this is Alan Kinney. I nerd out about learning, design, philosophy, and technology. Today, I'm interviewing Ashley Thomas. Enjoy the show. So let's start with uh, who are you? What do you do? How did you get into corporate education? Thanks, Alan. Uh, my name is Ashley Thomas. I'm a uh, learning and development program manager at Google, uh, specifically with uh, supply chain in the Google Cloud. And uh, yeah, you know, I am a first generation American, you know, born and raised in the Bay Area. I've lived in Arizona for 10 years, all over. I was in Tucson, I was in Sierra Vista, Gilbert. Scottsdale, downtown Phoenix. And uh, four years ago, I moved to uh, Colorado, Boulder, Colorado, and then Denver, Colorado. And uh, I'm back to the Bay Area. And, um, you know, I've been in learning and development for over a decade. And it's just, it's amazing. Time flies. And, <laughs> <laughs> right, Alan? I'm sure you can relate to that. I can. And uh, for me, you know, I always think of the hero's journey with, you know, Joseph Campbell of like the arc. And I think mm -hmm. my art was joining Google and, um, you know, throughout my career, there's been so many ups and downs. You know, I was a government contractor uh, with the DOD. I started out in higher education. I was an English major. I got my oh, cool. master's. Yeah. Yeah. From yeah. Berkeley. And I got my master's in higher education administration. Um, think of like student affairs, dean of students, res life. Um, and then I realized, okay, that's not for me. And so <laughs> uh, throughout my career, I think it was just these ups and downs and, you know, having been laid off in corporate education, like two times, you know, it's always, I, I think I've trained myself to really figure out the value, value prop, but also accept the fact that there's certain things out of our control that there's a director that doesn't know what we do in terms of learning and development. And we're the first ones out the door. I've accepted that. It's kind of the inherent risk. Yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a really good point. I've had a similar experience, lots of layoffs, and that's that's the thing they say, right? Marketing, training, uh, recruiting, always the first ones out the door. Uh, so like when, when you're thinking about that, uh, that experience trying to justify the work, like how do, you, how do you go about doing that in your day-to-day -day job? Is that something that you proactively do or is this a regular thing? Like, how do you think about that? Yeah, you know, sometimes I kind of, I'm on the fence because I'm I've been going through like a personal awakening, you know, like post COVID. I mean, we're still in the pandemic, <laughs> and uh, you know, like pre post quiet quitting, great resignation, and right now I don't know what the term is of like techs are just tech companies are laying everyone off and banks are failing. Um, I found myself really trying to index on my personality, and it's one of those things of what does that really mean? Like just yesterday I was stumbling on LinkedIn and I found someone who was a uh, communications designer, a presentation designer for the exec, uh, for his exec team. Okay. Interesting. And for me, yeah. Yeah. I thought that was really interesting. Uh, this person had a, has a graphic design background and mm -hmm. does visual storytelling, visual design and has translated that in the corporate space to, you know, um, have really great all hand, all team meetings, town halls, you know, for the exec team. And with me personally, I think it's one of those things of, okay, I am a strong facilitator. And oftentimes I get tapped in. Prior to talking to you, Alan, I actually was part of a webinar on um, this professor from Carnegie Mellon, who wrote a book, a research book of how women should say no to non-promotable work, NPT. Interesting. Uh, NPW. Well, 
Tell me about that. <laughs> no, yeah, so don't give me the whole webinar. <laughs> <laughs> so I found this really interesting because I don't know if it's a matter of women are the first to volunteer or they're asked to do it, but um, studies show, and I took some notes uh, just really quick, that um, women are the ones that usually do the uh, they help coworkers with personal problems. They edit, proofread, compile the work of others. Uh, there's a lot of onboarding, training, mentoring. And I kind of thought to myself, that's my whole field. So is my yeah. whole field non-promotable work, you know? And that's a fair point. Uh, I've experienced the same thing in my, my career, despite being male. I, I think a lot of people say that training and education in general is a pink collar industry. Uh, and typically training teams tend to be predominantly female. And uh, you know, that's something that I'm top of mind for me, obviously being in the industry myself for such a long time, being passionate about education. Uh, it's something from like a, a non-promotable standpoint, you'll see that more often than not people leading learning and development team, maybe not having a background in learning and development. And that speaks to that experience. And I, I think that sometimes people coming over from sales or from other uh, people-related areas in HR will frequently come over uh, training teams. So, like, I, I, there's definitely something to that. But at the same time, I feel like professionalizing what it is that we do uh, really fights against that a little bit to remove that bias. And so I'm saying, like, during my career early on, I I rarely saw anyone from L&D in leadership. Now I'm seeing a lot more people in leadership who have that L&D experience. And I think it's actually very transformational for leaders. The interview's for you. But I thought I'd like to check that in there as well. But uh, just oh, each conversation. Yeah. That's yeah. amazing. Um, yeah, what, I, well, what have you experienced in your uh, your time? Like uh, just reflecting on that, where you're coming from. What, what have you seen in terms of like leadership, not just like learning and development, but like women in leadership, all that other stuff? Oh, that's a million dollar question. Yeah, I think, so I work in high tech and oftentimes, you know, uh, I started out at Google in people development. Uh, that is Google's central, you know, learning and development org, you know, uh, having the, the privilege and the honor to redesign our Nubler onboarding training with Alan, you know, with uh, other folks, Sunanda and Debbie, hey, and, um, you know, executive leadership, um, leadership development and uh, Googler to Googler curriculum. And I got to see a lot of leaders, a lot of leaders with so much experience in organizational development, in um, talent development, and sales. And that's something I, I've noticed, Alan, that um, a lot of leaders that I've interacted with tend to have a sales background. And then, um, like, for example, now I'm in supply chain, and I'm the only so I'm the only uh, quote unquote learning and development PGM. And it's a very different space because um, everyone has a very, very thorough supply chain background. And when I look at the leaders in supply chain, they've been at many different companies, um, you know, whether it was uh, Walmart or different supply chain, you know, the bread and butter type of companies. And something I've noticed is um, the, the female leader, the woman leadership or the leadership overall, consulting, sales, mm. multiple cross-functional leadership. You know, so that to me tells me that there's a good spread. It's almost like college, you know, getting into college of having your resume be very spread out. So that's what, yeah. I mean, I'm still learning and I don't know what it means for me as a woman for leadership, you know, trying to go on to the next, um, you know, middle management. But yeah, it's just something I'm still learning. And I think I'm kind of at a, crossroads because 
I can't tell you how many webinars and how many books and how many initiatives, especially this week is International Women's Day. When are we going to move from, hey, woman, lean in or say no to non-promotable work? And how do I actually see it for myself in the, 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 the representation? in the pathways, you know, I know there's different programs at Google for leaders, for emerging leaders, but yeah, it's just something I'm kind of like, it's a, it's a light bulb for me. <laughs> Interesting. Like, what would you say to Ashley from 10 years ago, now knowing what you know about the industry and if you were to go back, rewrite your career and your history and the, the moves you make, would you change anything? Would you do anything differently? I would, I would. I mean, the biggest thing I've learned, uh, so little Ashley, uh, when you were still in your 20s, right? <laughs> um, Ashley, <laughs> so 10 years ago, I would have been 24 years old. Um, throughout my 20s, I would have told myself, if you think you're going to work really hard and not tell anyone and let your work speak for it itself, guess again. Promote your work. It's, it's, you know, being Asian, I've, I've been taught, you know, it's like, just put your head down, the work will speak for itself, and then they'll notice you or, you know, don't rock the boat. And um, I think leaders often, because they don't see everything on a day to day, you know, level, you bring stuff up, you identify the roadblocks, and I would tend to surface that and do more work you know, try out, okay, I know there's a roadblock, but I'll just do it myself. So I would have told myself, you know, 10 years ago, um, say what you're going to do, make sure you do visible work. Um, also, try to connect the dots, do more work with metrics, with data folks, you know, do more cross collaboration. Um, and also, you're a designer, but don't hone in on only doing design. There's people, you know, I think oftentimes managers and leaders want to know, okay, what's your bandwidth? It's not me personally. It's like, okay, if you can, if there's more, if there's more bandwidth that we need to reconcile with, let's hire. I, as a manager will make the case to hire more people. I didn't realize mm -hmm. that. Yeah. Yeah. That's definitely part of the skill set there. And you'll, you'll use that all throughout your career for sure. That's great advice. And I think, uh, you know, plus one to everything that you said. And uh, I, I think all of us could uh, stand to listen to some of that advice, even currently, wherever we're at. <laughs> I'm still uh, learning. I'm not a master. <laughs> well, I mean, that's why we're here. We're all still learning, right? Um, well, uh, going back to something I wanted to pick on just a second. So I know that you had experience as well in the government domain. Uh, I know that there are people who listen to this, uh, people who read my newsletter, who are in higher ed, some in government, some in corporate. How would you compare, contrast those two, working in government versus the corporate sphere in terms of learning and development? Ooh, such a good question. Yeah, so I was in government contracting for four and a half years, and I was, a, I was an instructional designer. And we had a team of subject matter experts, um, project managers, graphic designers. And so the biggest uh, thing of, you know, working as a contractor in the army and doing startups, you know, being in L&D and startups in the corporate space is, whoa, resource, you know, um, usually when I've done it, when I've been a designer in the corporate space, it's me. They'll hire a director of learning and development and it's me. So I'm the project manager. I'm sometimes a SME, I'll be honest, you know? Um, and then I'm the designer, I'm the project manager, you know, to my point. That was one big difference. Another is, um, <laughs> I hope I don't offend anyone. The bureaucracy, the slow bureaucracy and 
I remember one of my mentors when I was a contractor for the military um, said, you know, people who work really hard get rewarded with more work to do. And those mm -hmm. who, you know, there's a little bit of, oh, I'm untouchable. And so I can just coast. And I remember, you know, uh, break time, there would be so many people just outside smoking cigarettes. And it's like, <laughs> so a lot of the time it was waiting. It was like, it was a little bit of feast and famine, which I still think is common. Uh, there's a line even in, in the corporate education space. Sure. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. For sure. Um, that's very interesting. Like just comparing those, those different areas and how they vary from place to place. Quick break to remind you that if you hear anything interesting today, please pause the show and write it down. Alternatively, Check out back episodes at alan.substack.com. Now back to the show. The next thing I was very curious about in your time. So like you, you've worked on a great variety of projects. What would you say is your favorite learning experience, either that you made or that you experienced yourself? Yeah, yeah. You know, I alluded to it earlier, uh, just being part of a team to redesign, um, you know, onboarding. I think oftentimes onboarding is synonymous in the corporate education space of, yeah, we need it. There's no way we can't have it. Um, and even when hiring slows down, there's still going to be people joining a company. So I'm really proud of being able to, you know, co-author e-learning modules and, you know, kind of make the case for that self paced asynchronous learning at scale is possible. Um, so really proud of that. Uh, another project, I think quite frankly, I'm gonna kind of um, aggregate all of the times I've been able to consult people without a learning and development background of these are what good learning objectives are. <laughs> so it's very critical. It, it doesn't sound like it, but it's super critical. So all of the times when I've worked with people with their ERGs or, you know, they're just starting to create a, a training program, being able to really um, educate them on Addy, on rapid prototyping, on design thinking, those are memories I will never forget. You know, whether it was me speaking at presentations or being able to consult during their team meetings or just facilitating um, design thinking sessions, design sprints, big highlight nice. of my career. Yeah, well, and that's that's exciting stuff because you're pulling, uh, with design sprints, you're pulling content out of people live and it, it's also a learning experience at the same time. Uh, exactly. So definitely definitely exciting there. Um, what, what would you say of that work are you most proud of? Was it the onboarding work or is it more the design sprint work? Ooh, <laughs> making me choose here, Alan. Um, Who's I your favorite? <laughs> I could say it was the onboarding work, you know, because I'm not going to lie. I do like prestige. I like the, the visibility that the onboarding project gave, but my favorite is being able to empower from a one-to-one -one perspective. So it was the design thinking sprints. Um, most notably in, in terms of presentations, I was able to speak at the 2022 learning and development summit at Google, um, specifically on design thinking with uh, Preston Yoshioko. Yoshioka, and uh, that was a big highlight. Um, just reading the re the reviews and the comments, the feedback. Yeah, nice. Like, what did what did you learn in doing that process? Like, uh, what have you changed how you look at design sprints? Yeah, I think um, I think it's the fact that design sprints aren't. They can be very. Uh, they can morph into whatever you're trying to do. It doesn't have to be this. Everyone flies out. 
and you have to dedicate two days or 90 <laughs> minutes, it could be micro. I think for me, it was just the, the fact that there are design sprints like, you know, uh, dot voting or um, um, eights, crazy eights, or, you know, um, in terms of postmortem activities that you can leverage a toolkit. And before I always thought it had to be very prescriptive and it had to follow this arc. No, it could be really plug and play with the different design thinking activities. Yeah, and for, for folks who are completely new to the, the space, uh, especially in instructional design, I find a lot of instructional designers don't even do design sprints at all and that's okay, but how would you, what? How would you describe what is a design sprint? Where does it fall into the overall process, be it Addy or Sam or whatever? And uh, what, what's the output? Yeah, yeah. So in a nutshell, design thinking is you're trying to really understand the user and you're empathizing with them and you're trying to create something, whether it's a product or a learning experience for the user. It's not going to be top down, you know, to the user. So in terms of a design sprint, um, there's different scenarios, right? Um, we need to create a different learning program, or you know, there's always uh, different scenarios. And so when it comes to design sprints, you're really providing the environment to really get at the heart of why are we doing this and what does the user need. So oftentimes, you know, when you have like uh, user interviews you're kind of aggregating, you're collecting all of that user feedback, and then you're looking at, okay, so I'm going to give like a concrete example. Um, why, okay, what kind of on, what kind of onboarding program should we create for the recruiting team? So it also starts with, okay, who are we recruiting? Who are the users? And then what does a recruiter need to know the most? And then design sprints are really able to, you know, you have everyone in the room provide, you know, ideas. Okay, maybe from a, a global standpoint, we provide localization or, you know, I'm just giving examples. And so yeah. essentially in a nutshell, design sprints are meant to get as many ideas on the wall. And there's a process of synthesizing, whether you're voting, you know, you're downvoting or upvoting the most popular ideas. And then it gives you, a direction forward. So it's part of the um, it's part of the analysis and the design phase of Addy, right? Because you're brainstorming, and it's going to be your your first um, it's going to be your first milestone for actual design and development. Yeah, that's that's a great answer. And I think some people are still kind of stuck in Addy, thinking about things very linearly of like analysis, design, and the development. And really, classically, Addy is one of those models that you should be evaluating at all times. And part of that means like dipping in and out of analysis and design, uh, dipping in and out of development and design, right? So like, it's something that you can do out of order. Uh, it's something where you should definitely revisit your analysis with new information. And that happens all the time in a design sprint, right? You know, <laughs> have you ever been asked to create bad training in the past? And what was it? <laughs> Okay, I'm not going to name any names, but um, I had a manager when I was at, uh, when I was doing call center training, so customer service training, I had a manager who would always say, we have a crisis, we have an emergency, we need to do this. And when you, I really have respect for people doing call center training, customer service training, because information is moving so fast that sometimes a customer will be telling a rep something that a rep doesn't know. 
Yeah. So it comes down to, right. It comes down to content, you know, knowledge articles, and then you have micro learning and just in time and learning in the, in the flow of work, the solution. And, you know, I'm not proud to say it, but it was what was needed at the time was creating one pagers. The reason I, I think it's bad is because if you create that people are going to be overwhelmed by all of the information they're taking. So how do we make sure that rather than looking at a one pager that takes them away from the phone, that takes them away from writing emails to the customers, because that's their measurement, that's their metrics, right? Absolutely. How fast it solve a case. So rather than have me creating one pagers that get stale very fast, we could have, I could have merged with um, Confluence, the knowledge article, and we could have had some type of, you know, API. And again, this is, I being idealistic, um, <laughs> that would have popped up, you know, just, I know uh, there's different training vendors that, you know, walk me in terms of, you know, it's on the screen, it pops up or just, you know, I think even taking a step back and it's like, how do we create a support system? So we have more mentors on the ground. We have senior sales reps that are able to answer this, you know, from a train the trainer standpoint, there could have been stuff with that space too. I agree. And, you know, I love your user focus here. And I think that's what makes you such an excellent designer is really focusing on at the end of the day, what do these folks need in order to get their jobs done and, and really like having that logical, going back to the start of the call here, having that logical step-by-step -step from like, here's the, the training intervention, whatever that looks like, classroom or onboarding document or, or something inside of Confluence, uh, all the way through actually performing the job and then getting whatever, you know, call time or customer satisfaction, whatever all that is. If you can draw that line, then it, it leads back to that ROI. And I think that like, you just natively know that. And that's a, it's a, it's a great thing about working with you. Thank you so much, Alan. You know, one thing I wanted to add is in my, in my role as a learning and development program manager, trying to figure out the long-term strategy for our 1200 person org, it's also, think about it, employees or people, we're inundated with so much information, emails, pings, chats. And I cringe when leaders are like, let's just have TikToks. You know, it, it's the the realm of edutainment, right? But Right. <laughs> Big sigh. <laughs> for me, something that I'm really wanting to learn more is content strategy. It's really being able to map out you know, I think learning the flow of, in the flow of work, but content strategy, how do we really make sure we're even from a visual design standpoint, you know, going back to when I told you about the LinkedIn profile that I saw with communication designer. So I just wanted to yeah. put that point that content is everything. And you could argue that for the right amount of contact, I mean, content, I will watch 12 hours of Netflix, right? <laughs> Same. <laughs> it's kind of hard to take one hour of compliance training at work. So how do we bridge that gap? You know, so just a food for thought. Love it. Okay, well, let's wrap up here. I want to thank you for, for being my guest today. And uh, I, I definitely learned a lot. And I hope the, the listeners did as well. Thank you so much. You rock, Alan. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs>